What is up, everybody? My name is Alex, and I'm your host here on the Swole Friends podcast, as well as a co-founder and COO here at Swolverine. Swolverine is an endurance athlete and active lifestyle brand. We have over 31 different performance powders and daily health supplements that are all proprietary, blend-free, clinically dosed, and scientifically proven effective. We also offer one-on-one nutrition coaching, training templates, online personal training, and a brand new service, which is competitive one-on-one fitness programming. Today, on episode 24 of the Swole Friends podcast, I am welcome to... or Excited to welcome Dr. Sean Pastuch to the show. And the theme of today is going to be focused around pursuing our true purpose and identity to live in our most healthy and vibrant form. The most important questions we ask ourselves, or you know, sometimes don't ask ourselves, are those that lead towards our passions, purposes, and fulfillments in all aspects of who we are and what we do. So this is definitely something we're going to dig into with Sean. He's very multifaceted, has a ton of accolades, but also has really created a life and a profession around impacting individuals to be their best selves. So before I bring Sean in for our listeners, though, I want to introduce you to him. He is the founder and CEO of Active Life. He's a husband, a father, a former doctor of chiropractic, a former brute strength coach, gym owner, trainer, and so much more. In his professional endeavors, his mission has been based strongly in the desire to enable individuals to have a life very well lived through empowered thought, physical freedom, and um, emotional well-being. So not only has he helped, you know, thousands of individuals transform their, transform their lives, whether that's being on the ground framework of the company or empowering other professionals to do so, um, they have done this without the aid of medication, you know, equipment, and through really real results. So Sean, I know that was a, a little lengthy on that introduction, but super excited to welcome you to the show. It's an honor to host you um, and welcome. It was thorough. It wasn't lengthy. It was exactly the introduction I would expect the COO to give. <laughs> I know, right? I know all the things on it. The, the CEO would have said, uh, bring in Dr. Sean onto the podcast. Uh, Sean, tell us a little about yourself. <laughs> definitely, definitely what Walter would do for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's your job. You're the thorough one. <laughs> well, I'm excited to have you. Um, it's, it's kind of funny, you know, when it, I, get really excited. I'm like very antsy right now to talk to someone like you because you're so, like I said, well-rounded, multifaceted. And it's almost like, where do we start? You know what I mean? Do we start with like early life and like, was Dr. Sean a total ass when he was a kid or <laughs> was, you know, do we start in the professional? Like where do I think, we- I think we start wherever you're most curious. Okay. Like make, make, make this selfish. Make it. So- okay. So I'm a very emotional person. So I want to talk about purpose and identity, and then mm-hmm. that will kind of feed into a lot of the other areas um, that we can get into. But talk to me about your definition of purpose, your definition of identity, and how have those things manifested themselves in both your personal and professional life? Great question. Identity. So, so I heard a good quote. It is that uh, we are not who we think we are, and we are not who other people think we are. We are who other people think that we think we are. 
right? And the idea of that is we walk around in this in this frame of believing that we're clear on who we are, but the rest of the world might describe us as someone very different because of what they think that we think we are. So I think identity is clarity in in values. Yeah, that's a so, good one. You know, the same way that I look at a brand, like if you're going to brand a company, you're branding. All the branding is, good branding is just putting your values on repeat and then documenting your actions and decisions that you're taking in support of those. That's it. That's that's world-class branding. Like your logo could be terrible, but if everything that you do is demonstrating that you are who you say that you are, then you become a brand that people know, like, and trust and will buy from. So I think identity is the same. It's, it's deciding who you are through the values that you, that you have and then earning trust on purpose on a regular basis through the execution of those values. I like that. And then I think uh, you asked about purpose. And so I'm going to pull my phone out here. Only be, which is always a risk because there's going to be a bunch of text messages and stuff that's going to distract me. But um, uh, my purpose starts with having a personal mission statement. And the reason I pull my phone out is because I want to read it because I change it whenever it feels like it's out of alignment with what's true for me. Mm -hmm. And that can just be making the language more, um, more granular. It can be taking out soft talk. It could be adding soft talk, whatever it is. It's just to feel good when you read it. And this is my purpose. So with empathy, I intentionally demonstrate love for my wife. Through my actions and my words, I deliberately mentor my children to be capable people. I influence positive change in this world so that others find success they otherwise might not have. And through the execution of my process, I leave a legacy that my family, future generations, and I am proud of. So purpose to me is being able to say something like that and allow anybody from the world to come and challenge that it's true and have stacks of evidence that these are things that are most important to me and that I wake up every day in pursuit of them. Yeah. And I think that having like a strong sense of self and, and value-based system and living from those values in a consistent basis can often be seen almost as like an arrogance in the face of those who are insecure or undefined within themselves. For sure. I, I get it all the time. Uh, less than I used to because I'm less brash than I used to be. I used to, you know, I used to have a lot of frustration and angst around people not seeing me for who I thought I was already. Mm -hmm. And so I would throw it in their face every time I was right about something. Now, it's less important to me than anybody else know I'm right or know that I'm doing a great job. It's more important to me that I know. Mm -hmm. uh, and not that I'm right. Know that I'm, I'm prepared to learn to be more right, you know, to do a better job. The our well, she's our CSO, but I think she's our COO, but I let her call herself CSO <laughs> because she, you know, she's the, she's the more thorough one and I trust that she's right and I'm wrong. Um, one of the things that I like to do with any idea that I have is I'll come up with an idea. I'll bake it as much as I, as I'm ready to bake it before I'm ready to actually do something with it. Mm. And then I'll bring it to her and I'll say, Mary, please tell me all of the things I'm not thinking about that could lead to this not working. Mm. I don't need to know why it's a good idea. 
I know why it's a good idea. Tell me why it might be a bad idea. Mm-hmm. And try to talk me out of this. Yeah. So um, I like to, I love it when she comes up with things that I haven't thought of. Cause now I'm like, Oh, you just saved us six months of pain. Let's, let's, let's overcome that problem before we start. Mm-hmm. So purpose for me is, is going after something with everything that you have, which includes being ready to pivot, slow down, change direction, all of that to get there. Well, then too, being like living from that place of a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. Right. And like, we face this a lot in every modality of health and fitness, even in healthcare, right? Like what better ways could we do this? Are we in a position to grow? Are we in a position to, you know, where are we in the ready, willing and able spectrum? You know, we might go ahead. What what you're describing is why we, why I hold strong that active life is a mindset and not a methodology. If you're a methodology, what's necessary is that you defend yourself at all costs. This is, this is the best way to do this thing. Well, it, it seems that other people have proven it's not. Well, those people are wrong because X, Y, Z. Because otherwise, when, when something comes out of a methodology, the rest of it kind of crumbles in the wake. Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. When you're a mindset, what you're able to do is look at other methodologies and say, where are they doing a better job than we are? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Let's add that. Because the mindset is open. It's it's the idea of we just want to give you the best thing that we know how to give you. And if somebody else in the marketplace is demonstrating that they can do it better, we're just going to take that. We don't need to reinvent it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I have a public health background. Like that's mainly what a lot of my collegiate education was in. And, and a lot of that is in silos, right? We talk about, and for anyone not familiar with paradigms or silos uh, in the healthcare system, they exist everywhere. It's a lot like driving in a farmland and there's like a silo for rice and there's a silo for grain and there's a silo for beans. And none of those systems ever talk to each other, right? And in healthcare, a lot of times it's seen that this is the way we've always done it. This is the way it is. We're not going to fix it. It's too far gone. That silo is too big. We're not going to combine silos or have trucks that talk to each other. And you know, one of, I think the bigger missions that I have seen at least and talked to you about is the bridging the gap between fitness and healthcare, right? And just what you said about, you know, the difference between mindset and methodology and growth mindset and fixed mindset um, is that, you know, you want to not be siloed. You want to not be stuck in paradigms for years because what may have served you well in the past doesn't serve you now. And so you have to be able to adapt to that and change it up and do something different to get a different intended result. Right. So how have you seen that or how did you, you know, did you foster that type of approach in school when you were younger? Did something happen in life where you were like, Hey, this isn't right. I don't want to be like this, or I don't want to see this happen. Like where does that stem from? There are, there are, probably six or seven really pivotal moments in my life. And I don't, you know, we could talk about all of them. I don't think that's what you want to spend the next hour doing, but, but, um, but it's the six or seven that are, that are, that are the big, like you saw the shift. And then there are hundreds, if not thousands that are micro moments that, that broke away that, that pivotal one, right. That like allowed the pivotal one to slide. Mm -hmm. So I'll go back a step. And, and this is a perfect example of that. 
You mentioned bridging the gap between fitness and healthcare because I have mentioned bridging the gap between fitness and healthcare no less than 10,000 times in the last five years. And what I've come to realize is that the bridge between fitness and healthcare is not where anybody wants to be. Nobody takes a bridge because they want to be on the bridge. They take the bridge because they're trying to get to the other side. I believe that most of the people who come to active life are not looking to be in either fitness or healthcare as a culture. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily that they don't want what fitness has to offer or what healthcare has to offer. They want an off-ramp from those cultures and, and an alternative way of life and thinking. That's what active life now serves to be. And I'm working on a new mission statement and all, all that jazz. Uh, I'm happy to read you my, my current uh, iteration that I just, we just had a really heated and fun staff meeting about where I think this goes. But all that to say, the, the stuff that really started to change my perspective was I grew up in a household with parents who loved me unconditionally, who were successful by any measure of anybody's imagination. My father made plenty of money. My mom was able to stay home and raise myself and my sister. And then she worked in the summer at a day camp. And so I grew up in a household where I didn't know what it meant to not be able to do something. I didn't know what it meant to have people who didn't believe in you. And I didn't know what it meant to fail. I remember my, my mother tells me stories now, actually, I don't remember, of me telling her I, I jump higher than anybody else in my class. And this is like pre-kindergarten. And she had just watched me struggle to jump over a line of tape on the floor. Right? So she knew that wasn't true. Mm -hmm. She knew I didn't jump high. But she would just say, yeah, you jump really high. She lied to me. Right? Uh, I don't know that that's the best way to parent. I don't know that it's not. But the point is, I was always told you can do anything. Mm -hmm. You can do anything if you put your mind to it. So I was led to believe that that would be true. Mm -hmm. And then through elementary school, middle school, high school, college, uh, even chiropractic school, it didn't matter what the situation was. I could outwork it and I could achieve whatever I wanted to achieve. Mm -hmm. uh, whether that be, you know, improving my golf score or passing my board exams, it, it didn't anything that I, any hole I ever got myself into, I could get out of. I had, a, I took a test in college. I took a course in chiropractic school. There was a course called, uh, it was a radiology class. You get two tests, midterm and final. You have to, you have to average a 70 to graduate the class. My midterm score required, I get a 94 on the final to pass the class. That's how bad I did on the midterm. Nobody in the class got a 90 or above on the midterm. And there was no curve. So now I had to get the best grade in the class plus six points if I was going to graduate on time. I was able to dig myself out of that hole and get that 96 on the final exam by not going to any other class. I skipped every other class. I went to every section of radiology. I was in that teacher's office every day. I studied every old radiology test. I learned how to I could have been a radiologist after that <laughs> semester, right? But the point is, I got it done. I was accustomed to being able to get it done. And I found myself in the real world with a wife and a kid and a mountain of evidence that I couldn't get it done anymore. I was struggling. I was working 
uh, 80 to 90 hour weeks, I was earning less than $30,000 a year, top line gross or bottom line gross revenue for myself. Plenty was coming in, but most of it was going out. Um, I was, I had objective data that what I believed about myself was not true. And that really sucked. It was, it was the first time in my life I was scared. And so it forced me to start changing the way I was doing things to, to, to prove myself right about being able to, to be resilient to difficulty and to be able to be successful when things are hard. That was the most pivotal time of my life. And the ability to achieve anything, I mean, in, in the face of defeat, in the face of fear, in the face of failure, you know, you mentioned that you didn't have a lot of failure, you didn't know failure super well growing up. I, too, had to learn that a very hard time, uh, you know, at the age of like 21 to 23, like where it was like, oh, wow, these are your first introductions to this and this just sucks, mm-hmm. right? And you're always presented with that choice, like evolve or remain, right? And it's, it's a, you know, and I guess in a more extreme way of saying it, like here at Wolverine, that is the motto, adapt or die, right? Like mm-hmm. you either pivot and move forward or that's the end of it. And that's the end of your, you know, schooling. That's the end of being that provider. That's the end of those sorts of things and building that type of resiliency. How do you feel like that resiliency and what you took into that manifested into the way that you served, whether I don't, you know, I don't know if you went to, into practice for yourself or if mm-hmm. that started active like so i went into practice and i served for about a decade in practice and and in those nine or ten years i was i was fortunate to be able to attract olympians to my office uh crossfit games champions and countless crossfit games athletes to my office professional baseball players to my office these people would fly out to come and see me for three days and then go home and I would write them workout programs that were meant to get them out of pain without going to the doctor or missing their workouts ever again. Mm-hmm. I, I was doing that before there were programming apps. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you um, have ever heard of this company, Fitbot, mm-hmm. but Fitbot was True Coach before it was True Coach. And I was the second person on it because the owner of that company, Casey Jenks, posted that he was building a beta of something to help coaches be more efficient in their program writing. Who wants to try it? And I was like, uh, yeah, <clears throat> I want to try it because I'm capped out over here and I can't do anymore. And I don't have that many clients. Mm-hmm. So my practice was very successful in a sense that there was a year I was at the CrossFit games and there were 40 athletes waiting for me to treat them mm-hmm. in the warm-up area, 40 they were all clients who I was writing programming for, you know, throughout the year. I wasn't their head coach. They all had their head coach. Mm-hmm. Their head coach allowed me access to their programs to change what they had written so that their athletes would have the best possible chance of performing successfully without injury. Yeah. So my as my practice evolved out of treating people by hand and starting to do that more often, it became something that I I was no longer passionate about treating people by hand. It was too slow. I could affect too few people and I wanted much bigger impact. Mm -hmm. So in 2018, I, you know, 17 was the first year I ever broke a hundred thousand dollars of personal income. I was finally starting to contribute to the family, um, you know, fulfilling the promises I made to my wife to be the man that she uh, deserved. And I told her, 
December 18th or so, 2017, that I was giving it all up as of January 1. Because I knew if I told her earlier, she would have just stressed about it. Uh, but I had worked out with my partner that I would no longer be his partner. Mm -hmm. I would pursue the online opportunities. He would keep the in-person opportunities. And I've, 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 I've refused to do anything that I lack excitement and inspiration for since. That's big. That's big. Not just forcing yourself into situations because you can overcome them or because you have to, but actually doing it from a place of like, I enjoy this. I'm going to be better at it. I'm going to do better at it, which is even sometimes I think when you're really talented or, you know, gifted in a certain spot, it's almost hard to believe, right. Mm -hmm. That you could do better. And like to be able to acknowledge that and be, you know, what I would consider to be like a pioneer in that space, especially in the fitness and social space um, is huge, you know, mm -hmm. be able to pivot with that. Well, I've had a lot of people ask me, I appreciate that. I've had a lot of people ask me, why do you, why do you keep doing this? Like the skill set that you've developed and and demonstrated that everybody now it, it's it's undeniable that you have this skill set. You could apply to leadership in countless companies that would happily pay you millions of dollars a year to build their corporate culture and drive their profits. Mm -hmm. Why are you continuing to slog it out and try to make active life a thing? Mm -hmm. I was like, well, because. I've had many opportunities where people have offered me much more lucrative jobs than the one I have right now. And I've turned them down without much thought because it's, it's about more than just the money. The money is a big part of it. You know, uh, I was, I was real, I'm really proud that two and a half years ago, I was able to help my wife retire. So making money, make no doubt about it. That is, that is important. It's, it's that I only want to make money a certain way. And I love the way I make money. Mm -hmm. So I don't need to take more to do someone else's job. I, when, I, when I quit practice, I had to, the, the scariest thing was actually telling my parents. And so I, I practiced and I thought about it and I was like, what do I want to tell them? And I shared with them, uh, I believe you want me to be happy. Is that true? Like that's fundamentally at the end of the day, you just want to know your son's happy. Is that right? I said, yes. I said, great. I'm leaving practice. And the reason I'm leaving practice is because I am happier in the uncertain pursuit of work I'm inspired by than I am in the certain success of work that bores me. And so I appreciate your support as I take this new, probably really scary to you path. And yeah. Well, and that, that brings up kind of the idea of like seeking to be understood versus understanding. Right. And it's like a lot of times we seek, especially gosh, in the like face of social media and all the bullshit online is like seeking to be understood in so many ways rather than just understanding ourselves. Well, and, go ahead. Well, you know, th this is, uh, I get, I get a fair amount of guys who will ask me, uh, marriage advice. And I'm mm -hmm. like, I'm, I shouldn't give you marriage advice. I don't know your wife. Mm -hmm. I don't know you. I don't know your history. I don't, I know none of that, but I'll share with you what I do that, um, you can consider. And what I tell them is I 
aim to be impressed by my wife more than I aim to impress her. Because if I have just, I've just learned that at least from my own experience, the more impressed I am by her, the more I love her, the more I'm turned on by her, the more I want to talk about her, the more I want to be with her. And the more I want all of those things, the more she seems to be impressed by me. And so it, it works itself out. It's very reciprocal, right? Yeah. And, and, and it's, you know, it's, it's not, it's not for the sake of what I get in return. Mm -hmm. It's because I genuinely enjoy being impressed by the woman I chose to spend the rest of my life with and raise kids with. That's genuinely enjoyable. It just so happens. She loves it. That's like, that's very impactful for sure. How did you guys meet? College. Like the romantic. I was, I was, I was looking for an, an easy date who would put out <laughs> at my fraternity formal and I found her. And then, um, my wife's friend who I went to class with um, and this other chick, she was, she was, she was also very attractive and I was very excited. Um, and then my wife's friend who I was good friends with and I went to class with on a regular basis, nutrition class, she ended up being a dietitian, but that's an aside. She, she said to me, um, don't take that girl to formal. I have the perfect girl for you to take to formal. And I was like, is she going to put out? <laughs> and she said, probably. She said, probably. So, so I said, okay, introduce me to her. And we went to have, to have lunch one day and she happened to walk downstairs into the kitchen of her sorority where I was eating lunch with this other girl. And she walked, when she came downstairs, she was, she looked like a fucking train wreck. <laughs> she, she had gone out the night before. Uh, it was like noon. I think she woke up five minutes before she came downstairs. She was still wearing like booty shorts, but she had a t-shirt on that went down to like the middle of her thigh. That was probably the last guy who she hung yeah, out with. Definitely put out last night. <laughs> but she was, listen, as far as I'm concerned, she was a virgin until we got married. Um, until we, well, until me. Um, but, but, but so her makeup was running down her face and she just sat down and she was like, Ugh. I'm like, who the fuck is this? And then she, this girl, Alana, goes to me. She's like, oh, this is Kim. This is the girl I was telling you about. Hmm. And I was like, this is the girl? This is this is Kim. Be Kim. She's like, yeah. And I was like, all right. And so part of me was like, I had such an ego at the time. Mm -hmm. I was like, who does this chick think she is? Just coming downstairs, looking like a bag of last night <laughs> and sitting down with us. <laughs> like She doesn't care what her appearance is. Um, and that was in some ways a, an intellectual turn on for me. And so that's where everything started. Uh, yeah. That's awesome. So yeah. what fraternity and what sorority? She was in, she was in Kappa Alpha Theta okay. and I was in Beta Theta Pi, both at University of Maryland. Uh, and for those of you listening who are like, oh, frat boy, <laughs> I, I took pride in starting fights with frat boys my freshman year and the first half of my sophomore year. Um, I got cut by the baseball team at University of Maryland. I turned down scholarships to Towson and Quinnipiac and the litany of division two and three schools who were giving me quote academic money to go play baseball for them because my ego forced me to go to a, a power conference and Maryland was in a power conference and I was confident that would make the team. And they'd be like, where did this guy come from? He's so amazing. <laughs> 
that didn't happen. Um, so, so I was like, I don't need a sports team or a fraternity to meet girls. And that's why a guy goes to college. Let's not mix it up. Like a, guys don't go to college. Cause they're like, I really want to get a higher education. No, it's cause you want to have sex with girls who you don't know from places you've never met. So <laughs> we'll never go again. Yeah. So, um, long story short, uh, the fraternities at university of Maryland were, it was basically like you were either in a fraternity on a team or you threw a party that all of the girls came to and then left at like 11 o'clock to end their night at a fraternity house. And I was like, I don't need to liquor these chicks up for some other guy to talk to him later. I don't need that. Um, and interestingly enough, um, right after I asked my friend if Kim, my wife, would put out at formal, my grandma told me to stop treating the women the way I was treating women. I was like, what are you talking Stop. about? Stop being a shitbag. Yeah, oh, no. basically. No, grandma. And, and I promised her uh, immaturely that the next girl I slept with, I would marry. Oh, wow. I didn't know what that meant when I said it, but I promised grandma. And it. so when, when I first started hanging out with Kim, uh, I had grandma on the back of my mind and I actually delayed significantly the amount of time that we spent together before we did anything. And it turns out we did get married. <laughs> wow. Mm -hmm. That's There's a story I haven't told on a podcast before. <laughs> did you ever tell grandma? Like, Hey, oh, gra grandma. No, she was, she was alive when I married, when, when I married Kim. That's pretty great. Actually. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I love that. Well, Hmm. My grandparents would not like that story. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> yeah, that's because that's because that's because you're their granddaughter, not their grandson. <laughs> that's very true, actually. Listen, I have three daughters now: four-year-old, six-year-old, oh. and eight-year-old. So I would. Karma? <laughs> yeah. You know, I, no. You know what? I would say I would say it's karma, but it's amazing. So, like, it, it, it couldn't possibly be a punishment because it's amazing. So I don't know if it's karma or if it's like, hey, um, you need to know what it's like to be a girl's father. Well, I mean, in that sense, you could probably be a really good one, too. You know, I you know I would, all sides of the spectrum. I'd like to believe that I'm a very good father. Tell me about your kids. How old are they? Four, six and eight. All oh, girls. Ages. All girls. Mm -hmm. are, are they like personality really different? They are, they may as well be three different people's kids. Our oldest one is eight year old going on 60. Mm -hmm. Our, like she's an old soul and if she bangs her knee. Everybody knows she banged her knee. You can hear it down the block. Our middle kid is my wife. So she's like the sweetest person in the world. Everybody loves her. She's kind. She's caring. She's cute. She's cuddly. Like she can tell if you're in a bad mood. She'll just come and give you a hug. It's, it's crazy. And that is my wife. And our youngest one is, like, best example, I caught her the other day. There's a there's a fridge in our house that's just for the kids. Mm -hmm. So if they want snacks or whatever, like, they go to their fridge. Um, and we make them chocolate milk every night that they can drink in the morning before, like, instead of coming and waking mom and dad because they're hungry or thirsty or whatever. So 
she was she opened the fridge this is in the evening and she was bent over drinking her chocolate milk out of the refrigerator without taking it out because she knows you're not allowed to drink that except in the morning because it's tomorrow's <laughs> and i was like hey Stop drinking that chocolate milk. And she just goes, I wasn't drinking chocolate milk. I just wanted some yogurt. And she pulls out this huge tub of yogurt that she had no interest in. And I walk over and I was like, hey, this chocolate milk is two thirds empty. And she's like, I don't know who drank that. I'm like, I do. I do. Uh, so those are our three different kids. That's pretty amazing. It's yeah. really fun. Yeah. So, you, so you had a the first one though, when... You were still in school? No, no, no. No. I had the first one. She's eight. I'm 39. Okay, yeah. So I was like trying to put my timeline together there. So when you were practicing as a chiropractor and like working through that spectrum, how many kids did you have? I had one, I like to say I had one and a half. I had one one two-year-old and a well, two and a half year old and a six-month-old when I left clinical. Gotcha. Are you what drove the decision to leave clinical? I hated it. I so 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 I had a um I I brought I brought a woman in for goal setting. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I need someone to help me set goals. So I brought the whole staff, everyone from the gym, everyone from the clinic into the office, and we did a goal setting seminar. Mm -hmm. And when I looked at my one year, five year, ten year goals, none of them were clinic related. None, not one, not clinic related, not gym related, and it wasn't conscious. Then I had a day where I went out and I was pitching a big charity to work with us digitally, remotely. And I didn't get the deal, but I loved it. I loved, I, I was like, I, I didn't go to sleep that night, I don't think, because I had so much energy from the meeting. And I'm like, I want to feel this way every day. I show up at the office the next day to a full schedule with clients who had flown into town to see me. And it felt like I took a Ferrari that was going 200 miles an hour on the highway and just drove it to the bottom of a lake. Mm -hmm. I was like, this is, I'm not doing this anymore. And that was it. And that's like major, major life change, right? Like even not necessarily like identity change, I don't think, right? Because I mean, going back to original point, living from your values and having clarity in your processes and why you do things or why you don't. Well, again, it's the, um, I am who people think I think I am. And, and so when I left the clinic, everyone in town knew me as the gym owner who owns the chiropractic rehab clinic. And most of them didn't know, Oh, these celebrities come and train with Sean. They don't know who these people are. They like, they're not following along. They didn't care. Mm -hmm. And so, there was a lot of like, well, that was my friend group too. Am I not going to hang out with my friend group anymore? Mm -hmm. there, there was a lot of that that went into leaving. Well, did you have like identity issues? Did you have like intrapersonal, like, what the fuck am I doing? What did I just do to my life? Like, no, I had all of that before I left. And, and, um, you know, I had a mentor who I hired when I really couldn't afford to, who told me that if I wanted to be better at business, I had to become a better person. And that was because I was basically treating everybody the way that I wanted to be treated. But the way he described it was, um, you're a fucking psychopath and people don't want to be treated like they're a fucking psychopath, Sean. And what that means is I just expected that people would work as hard as I did. 
I expected that people would want to be successful as badly as I did. I expected that people would want to hear how somebody else felt as badly as I did. I expected that people would change their behavior when they knew that their behavior wasn't getting them what they wanted as fast as I did. Mm-hmm. I, and and people don't want that. And so that's when I started to have the the personal existential crisis of who am I and why do I do what I do? I remember he asked me, why do you do this? He knew I had been offered a job working in finance that would have made me millions of dollars a year before I was 30. And I turned it down to open a business that was still struggling when I hired him. And he asked, why did you do that? And I said, well, I want to do three things. I want to provide for my family. I want to leave a legacy. I want to change an industry. And he said, that's cute, but it's bullshit. I said, what do you mean? He's like, well, you turned down a job that would have made you millions of dollars a year. So you could do this. How's providing for your family going? I was like, yeah, it's not going well. He's like, okay, well, how about if your family died in a car accident tomorrow, tragically, would you stop everything that you're doing? I said, no. He said, well, then it's not about them. Does it, are, are you changing anything about the way that the industry is functioning right now? I said, no. And he's like, do you think anything that you're doing right now is going to change the way the industry is functioning? At the time, the answer was no. He's like, well, then it's not that. And he's like, what legacy are you leaving? I said, not one I'm proud of. He said, so go rethink why you do this. And that, that, that was the hardest feedback I've ever gotten because I was really clear on who I was, I thought. And all of a sudden, I wasn't. And it sent me on a really valuable month to month and a half of figuring all that stuff out. Well, it's sitting down and facing yourself and sitting down and writing these things and and digging into them and not being afraid to like recognize like that you are starting from, I don't know. Would you say it was starting from scratch? Would you say it was starting from a blank page? It was starting from below scratch and, and there was fear. I was afraid. Uh, I tell my kids all the time, I'm like, the only thing you can't fake is bravery because to be brave, you have to be afraid and do the thing anyway. If you're not afraid, you're not being brave. So um, I learned that when I was scared shit and had no choice. Mm -hmm. What am I going to do? Just shut the business down and beg for a job somewhere else? Mm. and be miserable? No. So I was below scratch because I had to take everything I was doing and start it all over again. And I had to, I ended up going on a two year long apology tour, calling people and telling people I was sorry for things that I didn't realize I had done when I did them. Beginning with my wife, apologizing for not wearing a wedding ring when I knew it was important to her, but it wasn't important to me. And it felt like something that for me was annoying because I lift weights all the time. I'm treating patients with my hands. I got to take the ring off. I'm twisting it around on my finger and all this nonsense. Like, it's just stupid. You know, I love you, right? She's like, yeah. So I didn't wear it. But for her, approval is a huge thing. So she would never tell me I would really like you to wear one because that risks approval from me. Mm-hmm. But I realized she would really like me to wear a ring. So I apologized to her for making a selfish decision to not wear one for years told her I'd ordered one and it hasn't come off my finger since. And that was the first apology of about 40 that I made. And she was like, I don't know why you're apologizing. 
And I had to start there because that was easy. I knew she would say, I don't know why you're apologizing. I ended with the person who I felt like had just, he and I had just split in our business. And I felt like he was doing everything he could to try to make my life harder after I paid him to leave and made him look great on the way out. Um, and I was fucking pissed. So I didn't have anything good to say to him for years. I called him. He was the last of the, the calls. And I just said, look, I'm sorry. I could have been a better friend. I could have been a better business partner. I, 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 I apologize for not holding up the end of the deal that you signed up for. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly what I did between you and me and him. Uh, I don't know, but I know that I had a role in it and I was apologizing for that. Mm-hmm. And doing that work over the two years of apologizing to people kind of made me uh, impervious to, to fear of criticism. But once you've stared down the phone and calling the number of somebody who you're about to say, I need to apologize to you for something that you have either been waiting for or not. And that you're going to want to tell me potentially all of the other things I did wrong. Mm-hmm. That's scary. Yeah. Hearing, yeah. Having, having an Instagram person tell me that I'm wrong. Isn't scary. But having the people you do care about and the people you do cherish. It's not scary anymore because, because I'm looking for it. Mm-hmm. You know, the difference is before I was trying to be right about everything. Mm-hmm. And so if, if, if I was, um, if I was pointed out that I was wrong, it was a fight. Now, all I want to be is wrong because yeah. if I can be wrong and then adopt better, I'm better. Mm-hmm. And I think I'm pretty damn good right now. So if I can get better, let's, let's do that. Yeah. And it's a lot of like having humility and not saying like, Oh, I just don't care. I don't care. I don't fucking care. It's your problem. Whatever. We're not in business together. That was two years ago. Get fucked. Don't care. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the, but, but the people who would say that do care mm-hmm. because, because they care the most, you know, but mm-hmm. they got to get from, I don't care to, heal to which which that requires the i do care and i do want to make it better and that doesn't make me weak that's that's the chasm that's the chasm it's um you know i confided in our team some things that i think i was really insecure about as soon as i learned about them Mm -hmm. i was like i need to share this with everybody because i didn't realize this about myself and i'm insecure about it so i have to share it And when I shared it with our team, of course, the fear at first is like, if you share things that you're insecure about with the people who look to you to be their leader, the risk is what if our leader is too weak to follow? Um, And my belief was if they didn't know this about me, it would continue to slow me down. And if it slows me down, I'm not the leader they deserve. So fuck it. Here we go. And what I found from sharing this with our team was that, they've they've rallied to my support in a big way and so it's just more evidence that the thing that you believe makes you weak usually makes you strong 
It's big. Mm-hmm. It's deep and important. I think it's important well, to hear. Well, to, to make a long, uh, I'll, I'll abridge the story because I think it's worth sharing. Um, I have a bunch of, you know, I, I badly want to be successful to myself. You know, successful to myself is living life by design. It's being able to do whatever I want to do whenever I want to do it with whoever I want to do it. And that doesn't mean anybody else has to compromise on their life so that I can have the life I want. It means I am living my own life within my own values, within my own beliefs, within my own interests, with integrity uh, and without limits. And I had a dream one night that my daughter was being interviewed in her 50s. And the interviewer was asking her, like, why do you work so hard? You've already accomplished everything everybody could ever want. She's like, well, I watched my dad work really hard my whole life and never make it. And so that was the dream. And so I shared with our team that I've been spending too much time playing defense. I've been spending too much time worried that we're going to lose everything that we have if I push on for bigger more impactful things because in order to throw a punch, you have to expose the side of your face. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, And I told them I was going to stop doing that. And then I apologize for having done that. Uh, It was out of fear and out of preservation of what each of us on this team has. And that I know that everyone on this team uh, deserves more, even if you don't want it. So forgive me for taking risks that I haven't yet taken. So the first company, so let's bridge that further. So the first company or the first path was active life, right? No, the first path ever. Well, I mean, like, I guess like in the active life pursuit, okay. um, because there's active, prof- active life professional now, mm-hmm. right? There's active life. Mm-hmm. So, so there was active life before there was active life. There was thrive long beach chiropractic and CrossFit King of the beach. Before that, I was a personal trainer. Before that, I was a chiropractor. Right. So that's going back. Mm -hmm. Um, Actually, I guess I was a trainer. Then I was a chiropractor. Then I was a trainer again while I was a chiropractor. But but all that aside, active life started as helping people get out of pain without going to the doctor or missing the gym. I said that too many times to count. And it was very successful. It was more limited than I would like us to be. But it, it, it got through. Then what happened was we started helping enough people do that, that their coaches started asking, hey, why is my client, my athlete reaching out to you for help when I'm right here? I'm like, well, because they told me they have this problem, this problem, this problem, and this problem that you haven't been able to help them with it. I'm happy to help you. Would you like help with that? So we started teaching coaches how to solve the same problems for their clients that we were solving, effectively making us um, unnecessary if we ever got to scale teaching coaches that, Mm -hmm. which is a dream. Then gym owners started to see the coaches who we were educating break through financially, quit their full-time jobs to coach full-time as a career, making six figures plus, helping members in their gyms achieve things that they were never able to achieve before after years of membership taking their group class or working with a different personal trainer. Mm -hmm. And they're like, there's only one trainer in my gym making any money. It's the one that you coach. What's going on over there? So we started coaching gym owners on how to create the appropriate incentive structures for coaches, the appropriate environment for members, Mm -hmm. and the appropriate offers so that members would opt into higher value services that got coaches paid real-time income and fulfilled them in the work that they were doing and 
led to profit for the gym owner. Mm -hmm. That became very successful. Very successful. In COVID, in 2020, we gave away almost $2 million of coaching for free. Wow. Because we knew people needed it. We were in a position to do it. Mm -hmm. That was really, really cool. We also gave away roughly, I think it was about $35,000 of cash. We just gave it to gym owners. Mm -hmm. uh, when their clients bought programs from us, because the gym owner wasn't offering it, we just gave the money that the client paid us to the gym owner. So that felt really good to be able to do in 2020 as a result of what we were doing prior. What ended up happening from that is our clients started to hit this the same ceiling over and over and over again. It was like seventy-five dollars to $80,000 a month in a boutique fitness business, which sounds amazing to most people doing $15,000 to $30,000 in a boutique fitness business right now and not paying themselves. Sounds amazing. Mm -hmm. What happened though is that these gym owners started to lose the inspiration of their team because the coaches were like, why are we still running this haphazard group class? Mm -hmm. Why are we still running this group that we know doesn't do for our clients what this personal training and individual design does for our clients? Mm -hmm. So these coaches would run out of steam and they would leave and go start their own businesses or they would move because staying wasn't the priority anymore because it wasn't like they reached the top of what they possibly could there. Right. Mm -hmm. And then the gym was in this constant, like if we don't sell, we don't, we're not a thing. Mm -hmm. So we were doing all of that on theory. I stuff I knew would work, but stuff that we hadn't made work. So in January of this past year, we opened our brick, our flagship brick and mortar about 120 yards from where I'm sitting right now. <laughs> and just as a, look, I'll prove it. Mm -hmm. I'll prove it. Okay. And we'll learn in our own facility what we need to do a better job of. And in five months, we went from negative $30,000 a month mm -hmm. to, to $40,000 a month plus 10000 in profit. Okay. All of our staff are full-time salary. They're all on profit share. So when we hit a given amount of revenue, they know they make more money. Mm -hmm. Um. Full time for them is 35 floor hours or 35 total work hours a week. None of them have a client. They all share clients. So if like one of our team members just broke her fibula last week on a vacation. No. She didn't have to come into work when she was going to the doctor's office. The mm -hmm. other coaches on staff took up the slack for her mm -hmm. and she doesn't lose pay. Cool. Which is very different for fitness businesses. It's very different. Everybody who's walking into that business is someone who would be very obviously not a fit for any of the 14 other gyms in our town mm -hmm. or any of the doctor's offices in our town. So what happens is all of these gym businesses put out that they want to work with this, this person who is in, in so much need, right? Like, the, the, the posts are of the 60 plus year old person who lost a hundred pounds or who they're so impressed by because she keeps coming in, right? Well, that's everybody in our business. It's everybody. And the question that should be asked, and they're not all 60 plus, they all need to lose a hundred pounds. I'm saying everybody who is in our business is the person who you would say, I am so proud of this person. Mm -hmm. We know what their goals are. We provide them with education. So if you come into a training session and you didn't go through yesterday's education that was put into your 
your, your end of our platform, instead of working out today, the person on staff responsible for you that day is going to walk you into a mentorship office and put you through the education that you didn't go through last night. That's because important. that's more important than the workout. Yeah. So we're doing something that's never been done before. Mm-hmm. And we're seeing success, even though we're amateurs at doing it. Mm-hmm. And I say we're amateurs at doing it because it's never been done before. Mm-hmm. In 10 years, we'll do things a little bit differently than we're doing them right now. Yeah. But we're proving that there's a market for um, professional staff. And we're proving that there's a market for um, clients in need of professional staff. And so ultimately, it's making it easier for our clients who are educating, who are mentoring from afar to see that, um, okay, it's time. Yeah, I love that. Uh, Emma just chimed in. So Emma is one of our... um, our sales managers actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so the immersion course, she's bringing that up Been one of the favorite ones she's ever taken. It's kind of funny. I actually did get into a conversation as well with our director of programming. Um, and he used the, what I think is like called bulletproof knees long yeah. time ago um, to, you know, when he started CrossFit to figure out his knees and they've been healthy and amazing ever since. So it's, I mean, <laughs> I love to hear that. Um, to speak to Emma, the immersion course is the the first version of coach education that we rolled out. That was in about 2018, if I'm not mistaken. I think around March 2018. And that program um, was 12 weeks long, one hour a week. Mm-hmm. Nine of the weeks were, or excuse me, it was 13 weeks. Nine of the weeks were science. Three of the weeks were sales and marketing. And one of the weeks was a wrap-up Q&A. Wow. Now... That content represents less than less than eight percent of our coach education. Yeah. Our program is now called ALP. Mm-hmm. Instead of being twelve or thirteen weeks, one hour a week, it is thirteen months wow. of three to five hours a week of intentional learning, and then fifteen hours a week of applying that learning in your business. Uh, at the time when Emma took it. It was on Zoom. And if you missed a week, it's okay. You could just watch the recording. Mm-hmm. Now we have built 18 hours of video content that gets dripped to you in an order that is, uh, as you pass exams, it gives you the next piece. It has an 800-page textbook that we wrote ourselves. It has um, 996 test questions. And it has regular meetings with your assigned mentor one-on-one yeah a slack channel that right now let's see hold on doing it again um a slack channel that has today um where do i see the number of people are about 300 and 300 plus people in the slack channel i can't see how many people are in it 371 in the slack channel and office hours every single day for wow. a coach to sit down with a subject matter expert and discuss a topic that they're struggling with from sales, marketing, building boundaries, personal development, client communication. They're all in there. And our app for anybody who doesn't, uh, isn't ready to commit to a career like that active life community in the app store is 100% free. 
You have to opt into giving us your email for an email list. It's free of even that. You can use the app without giving us your email. You have to give it to Apple or Google, but you don't have to give it to us. And I promise you, we have put more material into that app and codified it so that you can actually use it than most companies have, period. Mm-hmm. That's pretty it's- big. And mm-hmm. to provide access- accessibility to that type of information, high-level information, can also, you know, sometimes that's just what you have to do to, like, gain the trust and gain, you know, sort of open questions. And- well, we did that for a long time. The difference is, so if, if I if I pulled up the app right now and showed you what was in it, you'd be like, this, this isn't everything that you guys do. Mm-hmm. So no, this is, this is what we felt like we could give away and people would be able to use without question. Yeah. And it's more than most companies who mentor coaches and gym owners in our space have, period. And we're giving that much away all the way down to things like simple calculators so that you can stop saying, you don't know my, my net, my, my market. You're in New York, Sean. You don't know what it's like to be in pick your small town America. We have, we've built algorithms for you. So you can type your small town America into our formula and it will spit out exactly how much you should be charging for personal training sessions based on what you can do for a client. And if you're a gym owner, it will also spit out how much of that you should pay to the coach and how much of that you should keep to yourself. Mm-hmm. So we wanted the app to be something that people could go on to and use and build a business with so that they're only coming to us if they truly want to build a business with our help and handholding. Yeah. And then kind of going into that next step, like if you are going to do the 13 month program, you know, that's where the original topic we talked about and theme of active is mindset versus methodology. You have someone that you can connect with. You have someone you can have those conversations with and reach out to and challenge thoughts and get answers for. And it's not just a, well, my way or the highway, like active or this, you know, Mm -hmm. it's like opening that opportunity for education and it's, I don't know, it's pretty not similar, but similar in a sense of like informing the consumer, informing the gym owner and start forming people to make decisions from a place of self-trust and intuition and to be successful at that and to, you know, pursue excellence within themselves. Um, pretty similar to, you know, what we like to do here at Wolverine and, and the Soul Kitchen is like informing people before, you know, before even putting the supplement in your mouth, understanding what it is and why, right? Mm-hmm. And putting the pen to paper with training and services, not just opening a gym to say like, I open this, look at it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Come on in. <laughs> I don't know what we do. We don't have a mission statement. <laughs> well, you know what? Like, uh, I think that um, in defense of those gyms, and I apologize if it's getting darker here as as Canada just dumps its smoke on oh, New oh, York. No. Um, but uh, yeah. Um, yeah. But I think gyms serve a valuable purpose. I think it would be a mistake to call what we're doing a gym. And what, uh, what I think would be most useful for the fitness industry to hear is if you know who your client is very, very, very clearly, Mm -hmm. and you know who your client is not, then you can truly help your client. Mm -hmm. But if you think everybody is your client, then you're probably failing a lot of people who you could otherwise refer to somebody else who would be more successful for them. And that would mean that everyone who comes to you gets what they want, which would mean you would only have rave reviews, 
which would mean that you would have a problem accepting all of the referrals coming into your business, which is how we've grown our Long Beach location in five months. Mm -hmm. And if, if, if the person who is perfect for your gym walked into ours, we would not sign them up. We would not take their money. We would refer them to your gym because we only want people in our business who we believe we are the only people in town who can help them. That's and cool. and I would I would line up the gym owners in our town who would corroborate that they've gotten referrals from us if they were all behind me right now to share that with you on this podcast. Yeah. And that's kind of the beautiful way of looking at, you know, you, you don't know everything, but you can know enough to help or cater to the specific person. Right. Mm -hmm. And there's a, there's a lot of level of humility in that, a lot of confidence in who you are and what you offer and why. Right. Which is why it's important to, you know, see your true self and have your clarity and your values in alignment for where you're at and have your personal mission statement, not just your business statement. Well, Alex, you work with CrossFit gyms. Yeah. We, yeah. Like CrossFit athletes and whatnot. Quite so, good. so what I would say to a CrossFit gym owner or a CrossFit coach is I want you to think about the average class, how many people, what percent are modifying. Mm -hmm. Now, Remove all of the people who are modifying, not because they simply don't have the strength or the skill. So it's now they're modifying because they have a range of motion issue. They have an injury issue. Something mm -hmm. hurts. Their body doesn't contort in that shape, whatever. Mm -hmm. Now, how many of those people have been modifying the same way for six months or more? Mm -hmm. Those are our members. Yeah. And they're not getting what they need in your business. Mm -hmm. They could. We could help a coach in your business help that person. Mm -hmm. We could help your entire business be built around only helping those people. Because if you help those people, they will refer their friends. And those people have problems that they understand are more expensive than what a CrossFit gym membership can solve. Mm -hmm. That's, that's a big one. What's that? That's a big one. Yeah, and it's not a knock on CrossFit, by the way. CrossFit is great at solving the problem that it solves. Mm -hmm. It's not It's not the problem mm -hmm. of the person who still has their problem six months later. <laughs> yeah, no. Because you've done your best and it hasn't worked. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I had a conversation with someone who's like even newer to CrossFit yesterday who, you know, dropped into a class. They know they have the back issue. They know they have something going on. It's been that way. It's what has kept them out of CrossFit for a long time, you know, and go in and the coach is like hammering, 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 do the deadlift, do the lift, you know, oh, it's too heavy, do the deadlift. Oh, well, I can't do this, do it slower. Oh, do this. I can't bounce it off, don't bounce it off the ground, right? And this was part of a thing and they left class and were so disappointed and defeated at the their ability and what they could and couldn't do and the way that they were treated, right? And that's like a it's just an easy example of anyone in any physical setting, you know, the ability to look at the individual and say, am I going to harp on the right things? Am I actually helping this person or am I hurting this person in the moment? And then like you're saying, having the education and the tools and the resources like Active Life to properly address that client or that member of class to actually help them so that they don't walk away defeated. What's happening when you say that, just so that you have full awareness, mm -hmm. is Every gym owner, every coach says, yeah, well, that would never happen here. And it probably wouldn't. 
Mm-hmm. You would probably do a better job for Alex's friend than the coach who Alex's friend saw. I agree. The problem is not knowing what you don't know Alex's friend needs and and being able to provide that. Because your friend doesn't want to have pain when they lift weights. Your friend doesn't want to skip lifting weights. And your friend doesn't want to go into the gym and modify And your friend has been in pain for a long time. And so modifying isn't going to be the thing that your friend needs to get out of pain. I imagine your friend has gone to physical therapy and that didn't work. They may have even gone to an orthopedist and gotten a shot and that didn't work. It worked for a time period. It doesn't work long-term though. They might've gone to a chiropractor and that didn't work. So now what happens is what's the gym's best solution? We'll just work around it. Your friend, Alex, wants to work in spite of it, not around it. They want it to go away. Yeah. We help coaches and gyms do that. I love that. Is, which kind of feeds me kind of into, I guess, a new question from Emma about gym owners mm-hmm. um, that want to go all in. So for owners who work a job and own a gym at the same time, do you have advice for how to make the gym their only focus? Yeah. Um, it depends on what kind of a gym you want to own. Okay. So, so what I'll say is this. I think that there's, there's good benefit to a gym owner who has a job to not go all in on the gym if the gym is a place to help healthy people get fit. It's an inexpensive problem. Mm-hmm. So what that person needs to do is continue to develop the importance of delivering high level of service to their staff. Ideally um, all of their time and focus is spent on creating a high performance staff culture and making sure that there are clients coming into the business. Those are the two things for that person to do. Um, For the gym owner who has a job and wants to do the kind of work that we are doing, the, the recommendation I have is to contact us. I know that sounds uh, like a plug for our business. It is because, well, it is because I know what the road looks like if you try to do it by yourself. And I know what the road looks like if you do it with us by your side. And they're very different roads. I love that. I love that a lot. And it's, uh, you know, being able to walk the walk with someone or with an organization, you can't walk it for them, but no. you certainly walk it with them. And when they fall down on their knees, you pick them up and keep going. Yeah. You know? and, so. and, and, and look, we, we mentor and develop the gym owner. They have a mentor who has exited gym ownership successfully already on our staff full-time who's helping them. And at the same time, every coach on their staff is working with our staff development team who develop coaches. So they don't have to, like the the problem that most gym owners run into when they work with mentorship companies is the mentorship company teaches the gym owner. The gym owner then tries to teach the coaches what the mentorship company taught them. And the coaches are like, I don't understand. Like, why are we doing this? Why are we doing that? There's pushback. And it wasn't the gym owner's idea in the first place. And so now they're trying to defend somebody else's idea that they're not fully bought into doing yet, but their mentor told them it would be a good idea. So they try. 
They lose the trust of the staff. They end up underpaying them because they don't charge enough money to the client. They don't pay enough of that money to the staff. And the staff starts to resent the owner because they see that there's no path for me to achieve financial freedom working here. But that person is working on it for themselves. Why aren't they helping me do it? Yeah. We develop the staff on the owner's behalf and keep the owner informed as to what we're doing with them so that they are always the leader of their team, not us. Mm-hmm. Without that, um, I think the only way you build a successful gym business is on volume and entertainment. Yeah. We call it fitness entertainment and there's nothing wrong with it. If you can get people healthier while entertaining them, go for it. But let's not confuse that with a coaching business. It's big. That's really big. So, so how, how would someone, let's say a gym owner, a coach, someone who's looking to get involved with active life, how, where do they start? Where do you want them to go? I want them to go to Active Life Professional on Instagram mm-hmm. and say, I listened to the Swolverine podcast or Swole with Friends podcast. And I want to learn about working with Active Life. Cool. Or I want you to come directly to me mm-hmm. at Dr. Sean Pastuch and tell you, I heard what you said. It spoke to me. How do I learn about getting involved? And I will, I will take it from there. Absolutely. And for those of our audio listeners, um, it is his handle is D R S E A N P A S T U C H. Don't call him Pastuck. Call me whatever you want. Okay. <laughs> it is Pastuch. <laughs> yeah. That's a little inside joke from before mm-hmm. the show, but you know. Make sure to give Active Life a follow on Instagram. Visit the website. Download Active Life Community, right? That's the app. Yep. Yeah, download that. I mean, even if you're not someone who's in the fitness industry, like as a professional, as a coach, you maybe you're listening to this podcast and you're like, you know, hey, my shoulder kind of hurts or hey, I'm just looking to learn some new things. Active Life, I think, is one of the most reputable organizations in the fitness space. And really, as you've heard from Sean's own voice, some of the few individuals who are or organizations who are looking to share the knowledge, you Thank know, you. become an informed consumer, become someone who is, you know, in a growth mindset rather than a fixed mindset, you know, go back to your, go ahead. Half of the app is for the individual. Yeah. That's big. I mean, my parents were on it until, um, until I got them one-on-one support at our flagship. Yeah. And that's across the age spectrum. It's across the ability spectrum. It doesn't, my wife, my wife was on it too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it doesn't matter where you're at. There shouldn't, that shouldn't be in your way. You know, if that's in your way, then get out of your own way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, people like Sean and the professionals he's put into place for you to have access to are there to help you. Mm -hmm. Sean, I think it's been absolutely amazing to have you. I, I feel so honored to share your story to share, um, you know, your notes on life, your lessons in life with our community here at Wolverine and the Soul Kitchen. Um, I hope that everyone listening has found as much benefit, if not more than I have even personally found. Make sure to give Sean a follow on Instagram, reach out to him. Truly, truly, truly. He's an open book. He's, he's here to help you every step of the way. Make sure to spend, uh, sign up and subscribe to notifications for the Soul Friends podcast. We post 
the live just like this on the YouTube channel with our guests, as well as post the audio on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So, Sean, thank you for uh, hopping in today. We appreciate you, and we'll talk to you next time. Thank you, Alex.